Welcome to The New Exchange, a podcast series that explores how everyone has a story to tell. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and this is The Off Season, a series of talks I'll be releasing on the road to season six. What makes a rock record great? It's a question that's been asked for decades now, and it's wild. Some would argue that the very premise of the question is flawed. Because yes, at its best, rock music is about rebelling against the powers that be, with that punk spirit being felt across various subgenres of rock. So with that said, how can there be any ideas or rules towards rock music? Well, hang on, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a rule per se, but I would argue that beyond that punk spirit, there's also a chance to make people feel seen and heard in ways that just doesn't happen in everyday life. I'll admit, I am biased as fuck, but I do genuinely feel that my friends of the Canadian band July Talk have achieved this throughout their career, with their latest album being a shining jewel of sorts. That album is called Remember Never Before, their fourth album, and a body of work I describe as a storming anxiety attack that just needs a hug. It's so wild, throughout the album's 11 tracks, you can hear moments that reflect on the band's career while also feeling like a colossal step forward. Honestly, I could spend days singing the praises of this band, and the friendship I've developed with them over the years is something I cherish dearly. I've lost count on how many interviews we've done over the years, but this one is a big favorite of mine. And like always, we used music as a bridge to talk about life. Together, we delve into the complexities of feelings like anger, sadness, confusion, joy, and how the multitudes of emotions that we can feel on this planet ultimately make us human. Maybe an obvious thing to point out, but it's nice to be reminded of those multitudes. I'm joined on this episode by the two singers and multi-instrumentalists of the band, Peter and Leah. And before we jump into the episode, you should know that July Talk are now touring throughout Canada, and they'll also be playing shows across the states starting on April 17th at Higher Ground in Vermont. I better see a lot of you at the Mercury Lounge show here in New York on April 20th. They are easily one of the best live bands I have ever seen. Visit JulyTalk.com for all the band's tour dates. Oh yeah, by the way, I recently started a radio show called New Exchange Radio. It's an extension of the podcast that features me chatting about songs that I love and playing them live. You can hear the first three broadcasts of that radio show within the feed for this podcast over on Spotify. Be sure to subscribe on the app you're listening to this on and to also rate and leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings help us independent creatives in a big way, so if you like what you hear, do let me know about it. This is The New Exchange with Peter and Leah of July Talk. Enjoy. So I'm being dead serious. When I knew we were going to talk, I sat down for like a good five to ten minutes trying to think of how to start this because I only think there's so many ways that we could like, you know, start that would be different than just the usual way. So I figured the best way to start would be to ask you guys if you've watched anything recently. Like, what was the last thing you guys watched? <laughs> um, Triangle of Sadness. Triangle of Sadness was the last. Ooh. Have you watched that movie? No, I haven't. Would you recommend it? Yes, definitely. With a disclaimer. With a disclaimer. I like disclaimers. Please share. Um, how do we say it without giving anything away? It's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> I think it's how you say it. It's not a horror movie or anything. It's a very realistic uh, film. And uh, and yet it's uh, at times... Really hard to watch. Hard to watch. And yet you can't look away. It's like sort of watching a car crash. 
Except you like you didn't like the people in the car. <laughs> so it's like watching White Lotus, I guess. Yeah, I guess similar, it is. Similar. Except like it's like White Lotus um you know, squared. It's like a it's a much, much darker it's called Triangle of Sadness, you know. It's a it's a it's a darker take of, of that dynamic for sure. Who who's in it? I actually don't know who's in it. It's a it's a bunch of Norwegian actors, uh, but uh, Woody Harrelson is the is the main well known American actor in it. There's also an actress in it, the lead female, uh, who's incredible in the film, and unfortunately she passed away while they were promoting it uh, suddenly from like a blood infection. So it's uh, it came and it played the festival here in Toronto, which is TIFF uh last fall and and everybody kind of freaked out and then now it's it was nominated for best picture and stuff at oscars but it's a it's a it's a norwegian filmmaker named ruben osland uh who made some other films that were kind of favorites of ours all right i'm gonna like add that to the list of something i have to say i would have had a much more interesting answer prior to yesterday but yesterday i went to the movies and i saw the new ant-man film oh yeah oh crazy yeah, and I'll have to say, because it's getting, we're recording this within the weekend of it coming out, and it's been getting, like, panned critically and all that, but I enjoyed it. I haven't enjoyed a Marvel film in a while, and for me, it's like, um, you know that expression, um, as it is on the tin, it's like a British expression, where it's like, um, it's pretty much whatever is on the, the can or the box as advertised is what you get within the actual thing. As expected, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's how I would describe that film, where it's like, if you see an advertisement of the film, it's quite literally exactly as it was advertised. The high point was Jonathan Majors, though, who played the villain. He's such an amazing actor. I've heard that. He's, a, he's the hype, uh, hype person in the world right now. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'd let, I, I don't really watch the comic book movies. I just I gave up five years ago and I never went back, but, but I, uh, I don't know exactly why like i did like comics growing up and stuff but i just sort of there's just too many of them i think i'm also realizing that i think that the filmmaker of triangle of sadness is swedish he's not norwegian okay so for any like swedish and norwegian listeners we, we fixed that right away well yeah we had to get out ahead of it because i know that can be deeply <laughs> offensive there's a whole curve of enthusiasm about it got him calling a norwegian guy swedish and it's uh it's it's quite uh it doesn't go over well doesn't go over well yeah uh, I love that show so deeply. That could be a podcast in itself, but we do, we do have to talk about music, so I'm going to do that, and then we'll go back to talk about Curb Enthusiasm, because I'm, I'm, I am going to go back to it, because I'm curious what your favorite episodes are, because I have a big one for me that says a lot about me as a person. Um, <laughs> um, the, the last time we had a chat like this was after you released uh, Pray For It, which is an album of yours I deeply love, and um, what I really appreciate about that talk that we had was that we were able to center it around the fact that it was a big change for the band sonically and how the third album always needs to be a shift in how a group does things. And I wonder, when you reflect on putting that album out, was there anything unexpected about how it was received or the conversations that arose around some of the songs? Because I, I remember we talked so freshly after it came out, and I wonder how you feel about it now, a couple of months or well, years removed from it. Hmm, a good question. It was such a, I feel like talk, we talked to you and maybe like two other people about that album, just because 
like in terms of doing press, it was just such a weird time to put out music. July of 2020. July of 2020. Uh, like, you know, to go back there for a moment, it's like there was so much fear and rightfully so, I think a lot of focus was just not really on art being made or music being made just because there was so much going on in the world politically and in terms of health and you know we were this is prior to even knowing like when a vaccine would be possible and stuff like that so there's just a lot going on I wouldn't recommend putting out an album in that exact landscape if um (laughs) if if we could do it again I don't I don't know if we would do it the exact same way but um but I'm glad that that's the album we put out in that moment but I think like I think the way that that album spoke to a lot of like fear and anxiety and like awareness of what we felt and feel the world is becoming that it was like the right content and the right like topic for that time but I think maybe that's like something that I can say now with the awareness of of where we where we've been and all that's happened over the past few years whereas at the moment in the moment I think people just like I'm not sure that people were ready for it (laughs) yeah like almost like ahead of its time well I don't know I mean I don't want to say you know it, it feels like narcissistic to say that about something you created but just that but that I don't know it seems like like I understand it was a curveball and I guess I was I guess I was like honestly surprised by just some of the like pushback from people who have listened to our music for a while in terms of just the like feeling of um you know I think like a lot of people really loved that album and I love it and I know our band is like so proud of it and and really feels that that's like the best music that we could have made at that time but but it's like just weird you know like the the thing of people just being like stay in your box like make music like the old days what's wrong with you and you just kind of want to be like that music is there for you to go listen to whenever you want you know this is like the conversation that every musician has ever when they like don't just make something that's similar every single time it's like the which is like in fact impossible to do yeah especially if you're a band like us which we just don't really know how to do that like how do you go back in and make something you already made and that's just not really like something we're capable of and so yeah i don't think uh it was ever on the menu as it is with this new album like it doesn't really sound anything like the third one but it's kind of informed by by the third one, I think, like the the previous record. And we just sort of learn off each one as it goes. Do you know what's interesting? I don't know where I've got gotten this new found obsession, but lately I've been I've been noticing in like conversations I've been having with people that I've been very big on visualizing music similar to paint and painting, where I almost feel like in the context of albums, in terms of how they inform each other, I almost akin it to like when you paint a new picture uh and you have flecks of paint from the previous work still on the brush and they find them their way unexpectedly like um on the body of work like i have spotify open on my phone right now because i wanted to make sure i had the titles right 
And if I think about songs like Strange Habit and Touch on the album Touch, it makes all the sense to me in the world that we ended up getting like what we did on Pray For. And I think like when it came out in that time, like starting the album with like identical love and considering how for a lot of people, even though like vaccinations started to become a thing, a lot of people were still at home. Like that song felt like a nice embrace in a way. And it like the album as well. It was like that album to me was like, and I think this is the relationship between that and uh, Remember Never Before. I think with Pray For It, it was like this invitation to like look inward and just kind of have a space to do so. And I think this new album's almost like the anxiety that can come from after that, but while looking out into the world in a way. Like, does that speak to you guys? Yeah, I appreciate the reflection. Like, I think, I, you know, to simplify it as much as possible, I mean, it feels to me like the third record, Pray For It, was more facing inward, like you said, and pretty introspective. And uh, and Remember Never Before is very much facing outward and very much trying to connect, you know, and, and remember why we connected in the first place. Because I think some, a lot of people have gone through a lot of mental struggle. A lot of people have been walking uphill for the last few years within their own psyche and and i think that it's about trying to embrace each other and uh and find our way home to the like beauty and vitality of togetherness you know like i would dare say everyone actually just to like you know signify what you said there about that struggle i think the weird dichotomy of life um like, I know you guys are friends with Metric as well. I remember a couple weeks ago, um, they put out this newsletter. I've been part of that newsletter since, like, I think 2010, which is such a wild thing to think about. But, like, Emily, like, gets so personal in them. And she mentions something along the lines of, like, I'm, I'm paraphrasing drastically, but about, like, how we all went through this crazy thing. And that while we were going through it, there were, like, these ideas that maybe when it was over, we'd run out into the streets hugging each other and we'd be like celebrating the fact that we got through all of it. And instead we just got this hurtling towards life the way it was prior and almost like, let's forget all that ever happened. And that's where I think an album like Pray For It works um, as like almost a form of service to allow that introspection. And it's something that's just so starkly fascinating about Western life, particularly. Like I can't really speak for like, the eastern portion of the world but i feel like in western societies there is this big thing of like let's go through hard shit and never talk about it and arts like allow allows you to do that in times when you feel like you can't yeah that makes sense i mean it's not only that you're not supposed to talk about it but i think it's also it's meant to be your own self-worth it's meant to meant to derive your self-worth through the struggles that you go through and yet you're not really given any sort of outlet to put it and so it is true it's like music does serve that purpose in a lot of ways but i mean i don't know i mean somewhat to to what uh leia said earlier i think you know folks have walls up you know and they they have an understanding of what they want to get out of a certain band and certain artist and and maybe their expectations are often and i hope you know bent and stretched and changed and and you know that we don't always meet them where 
where they're at. Um, and so, you know, the fact that you don't really significantly hear a, a blaring guitar on, on Pray For It until, what, like track six or something. <laughs> you know, like, it's, I can understand why people were, like, put off by it. You know, it's like a different sound. But realistically, like, as artists, you just try to make something that inspires you in that moment and that feels as honest and authentically you as possible. And so I don't think we're ever really thinking about expectations that are placed on us. You know, I think it's more just, like, what inspires us in that moment to be ourselves. And I think, remember, never before this new record, you know, we were just really striving for the live show. We were really, like, missing the feeling of screaming back and forth at an audience and feeling that energy ping pong back and forth, you know? Um, and so I think we wrote an album with that in mind. That's so beautifully put. And before I start asking you about uh, the new album, uh, I want to ask you about something I haven't had the chance to talk to you about yet, and that's the new addition to the band, the amazingly talented Danny Nash, who I met briefly like uh, when I came up to Toronto, and seriously, lovely human being. Um, how did Danny, Danny come about joining the band, and how has having her changed the dynamic? Danny uh, played live with us quite a few times, usually in shows either in Toronto or around Toronto. And... Um, I think she started playing with us in probably like 2017 or something like that. And the experience of playing with her live is just that like she kind of makes the sound more expansive. And um, and obviously just having like an extra heartbeat, like an extra percu percussionist, I think just makes things way more dancey and fun and kind of make us sound more like a live band, which is kind of like you know the the thing you're we've always tried to do in the studio is like you want to take what's so good about your live show and take the live energy and record it on an album and it's and very hard to it's do. really hard to do <laughs> um and so this is the first time that we were able to like go into the studio with Danny Nash and have her add parts to songs that were already written and we also got to like just start fresh with her on a few songs um we worked with kevin drew from broken social scene on this album and he was pretty uh he just wanted to like summon songs on the spot and so she was there for that process and um yeah and i think we just we all love we love being a sextet <laughs> we love having her uh on tour and in the band and 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 it's just kind of like it's always refreshing when you have someone new in your dynamic on the road um and just in the room it's like it just kind of takes you out of your patterns i think and and feels like hitting a reset or like a refresh button and uh and we've just she's she's like kind of a toronto legend she's played in a ton of bands she has a solo project and uh and me and pete when we were first getting to know each other used to go see her play at various bars around town yeah she's just, she kind of plays everything too she's a yeah. great vocalist she's a drummer she's 
plays guitar and keys and kind of you name it. So and she's got an infectious energy. Yeah, she does. I just want to be around. Yeah, and it, it's been fun kind of surrounding her with instruments like her on. We have to do a TikTok video based on her <laughs> stage setup because there's just so many instruments surrounding her in this like big semicircle. And uh, yeah, we'll have to do a video that kind of breaks that down because it's so uh, inspiring and exciting to kind of throw things her way and watch her multitask her way through the set. It's really fun. And it, and it, and it allows us to run around and be more mobile and, and, and really focus on the parts that come from our heart rather than the like parts that just kind of need playing, you know, um, it's been, it, it kind of makes the show come from all of our, our, our guts a little more, if that makes sense. And it has to be so wild, even after all these years, you could like speaking to what you were saying there, Leah, about the sense of vitality that, you know, the freshness that she brings it, has to be wild being in this unit and knowing that it can evolve and change, which you have that as an obvious idea, but to actually live it. And with what you said there too, Peter, I mean, I remember being at like the history shows and like, obviously, like you said, she had played with you guys before, but like the level of comfort that she had being in that space with you, I felt was like really significant. Like, I felt like she carried that on herself really well, which I thought was very powerful. Well, we have like a pretty heavy respect for the original five members and like the dynamic that we bring. And so having Danny Nash join was a very slow and gradual process. Like Leia said, like we first played with her probably back in like 2016, 2017. And it's like, it only now in, you know, whatever that's been like six years later, five years later, really felt like we could, we could have her in as a writing member. And, and I think that's because like, we all know that if we eat, that each of us, if we made solo projects that were just us making all the creative decisions, like it wouldn't have necessarily the magic that July Talk has. And, and it's only through like this very specific and unique combination of tastes and personalities that we've been lucky enough to find that magic. And like adding Danny just feels like the next kind of logical step and those are kind of decisions that you just need to make with your gut you know like you don't know until you know and then it feels like there's no other possible way and and so yeah I'm just grateful to be a part of that unit like you said and like I know that what makes the band interesting is that there's just something magical that happens between us when we get together in the same way that so many of my favorite bands have that kind of spark that can only start with every every hand in the mix you know absolutely i mean this with all my heart but uh when i listened to uh the record for the first time from like from top to bottom like you know it's like what i do i listen to albums i get to talk to artists about it but this is the one where i was like i can't wait to talk about it like after i finished listening to it like i felt it like in my gut and um like, I have it open on my phone right now. I'm looking at the artwork. And, like, this is for both of you, but it's really more for Leia. Leia, how does it feel knowing that a teenager is going to have, like, a vinyl or, like, a wallpaper or something of, like, that album cover and their parents are going to hate it? How does it feel knowing that? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I hadn't really thought about that, about the parental judgment. But, yeah, it really is 
an album cover that is the inside of my mouth. <laughs> it looks so badass. I think it's pretty, like, people either love it or they're like, ugh, so much teeth. Like, <laughs> they kind of find it <laughs> off-putting. But to those parents, I would just like them to know that there was a version of the cover that was just fully my ass. <laughs> in a bathing suit. <laughs> and that is not the cover. So it could be worse. So it could be worse. <laughs> they could have a, a, a photo of my ass on their teenage child's wall. But instead, it's just my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> They're not lying, by the way, parents listening. I believe that like a thousand percent. I believe that so much. Did you did you guys pat yourself on the back collectively when you found out that the title of the album wasn't taken? Because I imagine that's like one of those titles you come up with and then you feverishly Google to see if it's happened before and somehow it hasn't. That must have felt really good. I checked. I don't know if I checked. I checked. <laughs> okay, Lynn. Good, good. Somebody checked. I think I didn't even want to check because if it had been taken, I'd probably just want to do it, do anyway. it anyway. Yeah. Because like we're this is coming from a band that called a song Johnny and Mary, you know, like so we don't really care about renaming, and I think you could probably make a case for the fact that it does just as much good as bad to name something something that's already existed. But anyway, I, I uh, yeah, the titles was just one of those things that just kind of appeared. Um, I think I liked the sort of paradoxical nature of it. I think that it actually came out of the song 24 Hours, maybe, because I knew that I wanted something with that rhythm for the bridge that when we all yell, remember ever before, you know, I think I had that rhythm in my head. And then I just tried to put words there. And, and when it came together, I was like, oh, man, that's the name of the album. Great. Um, but we've, we've often joked that, like, naming it, album is like naming a kid it's like it feels like there's a million endless possibilities and then one just enters your head and you're like oh that's the only possibility and uh that's kind of how they've all come about um and so i'm lucky to uh lucky to have found that one i feel very lucky i love it it's it's a strong title um i i feel like a distinct quality that each of the four albums have had is that it feels like the songs are in some way in conversation with one another, but it feels quite pronounced on Remember Never Before. I feel like almost across the whole track list, it kind of has that sensibility to it. And I guess with that in mind, right? Like when you reflect on the songwriting you did for Pray For It into Here, what do you think was the thing that changed the most or like the biggest difference? We tried to not overthink anything. There was so much time to sit and think over the past few years, and we really worked on Pray For It in like a methodical way and got together and kind of like made it our job to make the best album we could make. And, and we really like worked at it in a way where we got together, you know, Monday to Friday and sometimes weekends uh, working, we like had a spot where we were recording in a coach house. So in like a residential backyard, so we could really only make noise from like 10am until around 7pm without pissing off the neighbors. And so we kind of like kept a real schedule to it. And 
ended up having a lot of conversations and a lot of scary conversations just about what what we were feeling and what was going on and I think with Remember Never Before it was like smaller stints of writing together and you know because of the pandemic like having to bubble and 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 get together and and at certain times like not see anyone else and only see each other for a certain number of weeks and and we worked in different studios around Toronto where it was like we could only get this amount of time or this amount of time and so I think it was really about like just feeling more than thinking and like working from an intuitive body-based starting point instead of something more cerebral and erotic (laughs) (laughs) you know it's interesting and this is why i love having talks like this but also i love having talks with you specifically like the both of you i feel like everything you just said there leo can be applied to the context outside of our just to everyday life where i imagine for like all like the six of you collectively what informed that wasn't just like the art process the creating of art but just like in reaction to how we lived as people for the last couple of years. Because if you just think about it objectively, like, what is it? Think about just shy of, like, early last year. Probably the last thing any human being will ever want to do is think after all the thinking they had done prior. Yeah, there is a reflection there, right? And and we can only hope that that listeners can kind of relate to what we were going through. And I think after such a common experience, like you were saying with Emily's statement, you know, there's a good chance that everybody's kind of on the same page that way. I think that all we can do is get together and and do our work, you know, and and a huge element I think over over this record was just being forced to be a lot more self-sufficient. Um granted we ended up finishing the record with some other producers involved and stuff, but the vast majority of creative work together was done just the five of us or, or sometimes Danny Nash, six of us, you know, like because Ian's an amazing, our guitar player and July talk, he's an amazing producer and engineer. And so we would just get together in our jam space and kind of just record ourselves because, you know, at the time when we started, we were in like a COVID bubble and we didn't feel safe seeing anybody else. And things were still very pre-vaccine and, and very unsure of, of where we were, th- where we were at in the world and stuff. So, and I think that's happened across the board, right? You have news anchors reporting from home at the time. You have talk show hosts reporting, doing their shows and their monologues from home. You have all through the world, everybody's learning how to do their job by themselves or or online or whatever and it's like uh it was a whole new phase and what that did was it made us more self-sufficient it made us be able to approach our art without having to get through the gates of a big studio or i don't know play a bunch of demos for other people or these kind of things it, it we were just creating the album at, on our own in our own way and i think that that was that really gave, and I'm sorry, last other thing is that we hadn't played together in so long. So the first time we got together the, was, the, was the, the first day we recorded together after COVID hit. We hadn't seen each other in forever. And that day we recorded the version of 24 Hours that's on the album. Like 
that was recorded the first day we were back together. And I had been writing it at home and we walked in and we just, boom, we just did it in a day. And, uh, and that felt really, you can imagine why that song is such a joyful sounding party, you know, kitchen dance party kind of song because we were just missing each other. And like, and so all you can hope, like I said, is that people listening to the album are just missing and yearning for that kind of connection, that human connection just like we were throughout the process of making it and, and, and still kind of going through it as we, as we hit the road once again, you know? Completely. That, that comes across so massively to me in that song. And like that, what you described there about the first day, that kind of ties in nicely to what I wanted to talk to you about next, because, um, you know, I've heard many bands and artists say over the years, how the live show is like the best test for an album. And, Usually they're referring to playing like one or two songs in, in like a warm up show or something. But I've been really dying to talk to you guys about this. You actually got to play the whole new album in full at a surprise gig at the Horseshoe Tavern in Toronto, which I should say to people is like a relatively tiny room, like for you. And I, I want to spend some time on this because what do you think that gig taught you about these songs that you've made? Because I imagine the experience of that probably revealed some things about the album too that you probably didn't know prior it was weird playing the record to a bunch of people that hadn't heard it but i loved that to be honest i have to credit at least my reason i was so excited about this idea was that i saw a band called the golden dogs do this at the dakota tavern which is one of the best toronto bands that has ever lived the golden dogs uh and you know, I think it was just such a dream position as a musician to go through, you know, and just be able to walk on stage and and only play the full new record from front to back and really understand what it felt like to not only play it in a live context, but play it in the bar that we came up in, like that that was were the best shows we ever played, the first like significant shows we played in our own hometown. Yeah, it was it was like a complete dream. But what did you learn about the album from the Horseshoe Show? Would you say? Um, it just kind of felt like the. In a way, I I feel like it was like the, <laughs> the dawning of a new era, for our band. I think like, going along with that kind of like, spark that came out of this record of, following your gut and your instinct and trying to turn your brain off. Like, there were moments in that show where it was just like, oh my god, what have we done? Like, this is so crazy, and nobody knows these songs, and if we only just, like, went into picturing love at this moment, or, you know, it's like, we know the ways in which we can get these people on our side 100%, but, like, we're not gonna go there, and we're not even gonna, we decided not to, like, play an encore where we come back on stage and play a bunch of old songs or something like that because it just felt like it would kind of cheapen the whole the whole experience oh wow i didn't know that part that we didn't play any old music yeah well i didn't know because yeah sometimes people would do an encore and do that but yeah i didn't know you guys didn't do that there yeah i'm glad that you didn't read online a bunch of people angry at us for not doing that (laughs) but i think it was like a. I didn't hear any complaints i don't think there was complaints it's probably one or two people. Yeah, probably. Anyway. There's always there's always somebody with a loud voice letting you know their two cents. <laughs> but 
But I think it was like, you know, we, we were like very open about what the situation was. It was like, there's no tickets in advance. You have to pay cash. You have to come line up at this time if you wanted to get in. And we're just going to play like our whole new album for you. And it's the only place that you'll be able to to hear it right now. And so the people who showed up were like the people who are into that kind of situation and that experiment and like i'm totally the type of person where where if i heard that my favorite artist or one of my favorite bands was doing that like that's something that i would be really into as well and there's just kind of it's kind of like a magic time of year it was like the the beginning of october and uh the end of the jewish new year which i kind of like follow in my own weird pagan jewish way and um (laughs) and it just kind of felt like a like a really exciting time to try something that we've never done before and and i think that like the the thing that we came out of it with was a sense of like we can trust ourselves and we can be one of those bands that does what we want and doesn't have to feel pressured to do something that feels inauthentic or that or that we don't want to do for the sake of like making people happy because we made them happy in a different way, a new way. That, that speaks to, for me personally, that speaks to what I've seen your career evolve into what I like feel is a signifier of your band. And, um, you know, I want to allow you to have a space and opportunity to be at least marginally narcissistic for maybe like two whole minutes. If you, if you'd accept this offer, because let, let's be honest, I want you to be willing to pat yourselves on the back. You don't have, we're not going to name any names, we're not going to do anything like that, but let's just keep it real. There's a lot of bands from the past, present, and arguably the future who will make albums where they can't do that. In terms of not like the logistics, but I mean from like creating an album and knowing they could play it top to bottom. There's a lot of acts where like they'll have three or four songs in an album that they know they'll never be able to play. On some level, it has to. It had to have felt good knowing you you could do that, like that you could play it live if you wanted to unfold. That must have felt really great. I mean, it helped having an extra pair of hands and Danny Nash. <laughs> we couldn't have done it the five of us. It's a it's a hard record, and it was like such an intense. We started rehearsing for it in August because we knew how long it takes just to get the album under your fingers where it feels like comfortable and you're having fun rather than like just looking at your hands playing and like making sure that you're you're hitting the right pieces you know we wanted the show to feel explosive we didn't want it to feel like tense and you know so that was like really important to us and and we really enjoyed the experience of playing it live but you're right i mean it doesn't hurt that the album was made with that in mind, you know, like we wanted to make a live, an album that would kill live, you know, I think certain father is definitely a song that sticks out as one that's really hard to do live um, because it's done with a lot of arpeggiated synthesizers and, and uh, not to mention a vocalist that lives on the other side of the continent. But, um, but it, it really is like the hardest song we've ever had to play live and with Danny Nash, she plays those arpeggiated synths uh, live as does Josh, you know, like we're not playing to any kind of click track. We never play to a click, tra- click track. It's just not our style. And so it, it's, 
it's something that I think all of us pride ourselves on in terms of that phase of like learning a new record is is probably our favorite phase as a band where we get to geek out and try to figure out how to make the songs so the most impactful. Um, and so this tour in the spring is going to be so fun because we already kind of got the record under our fingers and now this it's to, it's about bringing it to some of the most beautiful venues in the in North America and we're and we're really excited for that. Yeah, I, I can't wait for that show. Um, like the show you'll be doing here in New York at the Mercury Lounge. Um, the one more thing I want to ask about this show, uh, Peter, would you say a, a high point of the show was getting to shout, um, bring out your human side into the faces of like a bunch of people? Because I'm not <laughs> at last. Well, the full story of that is that that song was initially written for Touch. Oh. And, but uh, it didn't sound, it wasn't like that. The chorus was pretty damn close when you but think about it. Everything about else it. was different. But uh, no, it felt amazing. It was so great. And it felt like a long time coming. One of your best songs as well, Touch, by the way. I love that song. Oh, appreciate it. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, it was like, a, it's a song that I really believe in, Human Side. And, and, I think a necessary one. I think when it kind of came from two very different places, one song that was meant to be on Pray For It and one song that was meant to be on the album Touch, and then it kind of, the sum of which became a song on Remember Never Before. And I guess, like, we just really wanted to to scream that ethos out to the world of of trusting yourself and of, like believing that you know twist and shout because they can handle it you know it's like this feeling of just like embracing the parts of yourself that make you the most you which i think is like so baked into everything that july talk has ever made and the entire vibe around the touring band when you come to our show and and you watch the show and stuff so it feels good that the song kind of acts as a bit of a new thesis it fits in like the lexicon of the band. Um, I I think my favorite song off the album is "Hold." I would say that's my favorite one. Nice. Yeah, and I I think what speaks to me about the song is um the tonality mixed with um your vocals, and it almost feels lazy pointing it out, but like there's a harmony within the vocals that just makes you fucking go, fuck really. <laughs> <laughs> when I listen to it, and. In all honesty, that's that's a song I feel only you guys could have made. Um, what's the story about how this one came about within the process of the album? Like, was it one of the early, middle, or like ending songs you worked on? Like, I'm curious how it kind of worked within that context. I think it was pretty near the end because it was like during the Kevin Drew sessions. Okay. In terms of like when you compare it with 24 Hours and like the first batch. Was it last summer they were working on it or the yeah. summer before? Yeah, it was last summer. Last summer, yeah. It's a strong one. I, I look forward to hearing it live. But... I think that it fits within that strange habit world, I think, but it's like a, it's like a love song about conflict and about frustration, you know, and yet... So, so a love song. Yeah, I mean, it's a love song. It's about unconditional love, you know, like, it's like the chorus is like, you know, you can hold me even if you're like holding me against the wall with a knife or, you know, steering me off the road or whatever. It's like you can, 
do you have a right to be here because i don't know i i think i think it's like a very complicated love song and i think that the the that we rarely kind of like venture into that but there was enough tension in there that that remained compelling it kept it compelling you know it didn't didn't take away the excitement or the like nuance um and yeah i don't know we we made that song together in a jam space just the the five of us and and uh we listened to a song by ccfx as like kind of the it was like one of those ones where it had been done a few different ways there was a version of it that was like much more aggressive and then and then we turned on the one to wait by ccfx and we're kind of just like it's got to make us feel like this and then i don't think that it necessarily sounds like that song the one to wait yeah totally. but i would put them on a playlist together i think that makes sense together for sure it has a little donna lewis in it too yeah that's amazing oh would I be right in assuming that Kevin was, uh, well, Kevin Drew obviously was shaking his hips uh, in the studio when you guys were working on Godmother Fire? Was he there for that? No. <laughs> he actually didn't make that one. That was uh, that one was with our friend Graham Walsh oh. producing, and and he has a band called called Holy Fuck, and uh, they're like an amazing Toronto kind of. It's a four piece, but it's like two main guys, Brian Borchard and, and Graham Walsh, and they, they make like electronic music with like analog instruments and all kinds of sort of strange samplers and stuff. Anyway, I like to think he was shaking his hips, but he's probably more shaking his giant long hair. But yeah, no, he, he, he helped us make that song, and that was a Josh idea that i'd kind of written some lyrics for it used to be called the devil and it was like about the devil like kind of leading someone around the earth and asking what had happened uh to the earth you know and 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 then it sort of changed and became about a god-like character even though neither of us really believe in like a i don't know we believe in energy but we don't really believe in like a patriarchal white dude up in the sky um but uh but yeah it kind of you know god mother fire like leia's verse explores a conversation with a mother and 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 it's kind of questioning whether we should be burning it all down and starting again or whether we should you know what we would lose in that process and 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 i think that songs often give us an opportunity to try things on and and it's fun sometimes to write a song with a with an ethos that's just beyond your own so that you can go and play that song and sort of try it on each night and push yourself a little further than you might feel comfortable a little deeper into the pond than you can swim you know and and it allows you to kind of question and assess your values and and with this one you know I often feel that the system is just too broken to continue. And so it, this is a song I'm grateful we get to play over the next while and try to decide whether it all needs to be burned down or whether there's something to salvage. When, when you said that last part there, do you mean it from, because I was noticing like the way you're using your words there, do you mean it from the standpoint of like embracing a character but not allowing it to be a caricature in a way? 
No, not really. Like, sorry, I can explain better. I, I mean that, like, in this specific case, the chorus is burn what's stuck in your way, you know, like burn it all down, burn it down to the clay, you know, and it's a sort of about looking at our world and seeing how, how broken the systems are around us of law enforcement, of the military, of posturing kind of patriarchal, you know, pissing battles, deciding, you know, how much our groceries are and who lives and who dies. And, and, you know, and, and I think that, on my stronger days, I feel like we need to burn down those systems completely and start again and start from a place of caring for Mother Earth and deciding that that we want to live in a way that is going to give our grandchildren a place to be um, surrounded by, you know, green <laughs> nature and all of these things. So, you know, and then on my other days, I say, well, what does burning it all down actually look like? And what is the consequences? What are the consequences that we're going to be faced with because of that? And so sometimes I think it's important to write songs that are just out of your own reach um, in terms of maybe what you have the courage to do. Because I, I don't know whether erasing all the borders and, and starting fresh without the systems that we all depend on in terms of land ownership and all of these things, you know, I don't know whether that's going to end up with in a, in a better state or whether we'll actually be worse off. And so it's hard to have the courage to do so, but a song like this helps you build that courage, I think, or I hope. Well, I think you start by untangling the ideologies. Like, I think it's safe to burn that shit down. <laughs> totally. I think it's a must. It's just hard to know how to uh how to burn down some things. You know, I don't know how far you want to get into the weeds, but like police unions, let's just say. And it's like I want all police unions to lose a lot of their power so we're able to restructure police funding in 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 our country. Uh and yet it's so difficult to do that without causing like an unbelievable amount of chaos in doing so. And uh, so anyway, I, I guess I just, in addressing those systems, it's hard to... Uh... I feel like this is very um, relatable and timely. Like these are some of the conversations I have with my friends and have been for like, the last few years. And like, I'll even take it a step further and almost like make it borderline elementary from my point of view, where like... Um, I'm definitely someone who's guilty of painting politicians with a broad brush. I have gotten to know some politicians over the years, and I know there's a level of, um, I know there's certain politicians who do operate with a genuine sense of wanting to do good by the world and things of that nature. But I've definitely fallen under the mindset at times to just be like, we should do without politicians completely. But I almost think about it from the context of like, do you notice like any time you see like a dystopian, like sci-fi film where like all of our systems crumble it's almost like we as humans intrinsically make like some type of council anyway and it's just like i always find myself thinking like shit if we got rid of politicians tomorrow would we just end up recreating them like years later so it's like it's almost like an interesting thought experiment in that way mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's usually pretty fucked up in the dystopian <laughs> renditions of society as well. Like, there's there's usually still some hierarchical power at the top that's corrupt. <laughs> I guess they didn't in the... Did you guys ever see The Road or read the book The Road? I guess The Road didn't. Oh, that Cormac McCarthy thing, though. Yeah. Oh, my God. Talk about a movie that, like, if you... I feel like if, the book is amazing, but the movie is as well. I feel like if you watch that movie... You should like it should be like mandated by some governing body that you go hang out with your friends like immediately after so you can remember that humanity is a good thing. <laughs> I think that like just to go back to Godmother Fire for a second, like just in terms of um like I think our major problem comes from I don't know. I've just been like been learning a bit about the gods and systems and like councils of gods that you know governed the cosmos and life on earth prior to like a bible or like there being one god kind of thing you know like real ancient civilization stuff which exists on every continent all around the world and i think like the main thing that we fail to see is that like the majority of those didn't start with like the idea that there is one true pure god who is good but rather there are always like two opposing powers like there will be some power that governs the earth and the sky and another one that governs the underworld or you know one who is governing like the thunder and one who is governing the water and you just like have these opposing forces and everything and so you know we've now evolved to this time and place where god is good and the devil is bad but i think that that wasn't the initial like i think the ways in which both of those concepts got co-opted and co-opted by like different forms of religion I don't think it became what it was meant to be, which was just always that, you know, it takes two extremes and all of the gray space in between to, like, find what is sacred and holy. And so, like, I find it kind of cool that, like, the song is now called God Godmother Fire, but it was initially called The Devil because it's still saying the same thing, but, like, what it's really saying is that we can't be so dichotomous. Is that a word? <laughs> or black yeah, and black and white, and 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 good and evil. Like just that, you know, we all we all obviously have good and evil in us. I, I deeply appreciate you doing that deep dive, especially because, like, for me, someone who's lived with your music for many years and like you know listens to it quite a lot. Actually, it's like. What's kind of significant with that deep dive you're able to do with Godmother Fire is that, you know, if you were to think, if you were to try to distill a major through line of a theme that your band, I feel, traverses through various songs, I think it is that. That, interestingly enough, it's like a lot of the artwork is black and white, but in a lot of ways, so many of the songs trace how life can be. Like, I think songs like Strange Habit, Now I Know, uh, pay for it which is one of my favorite songs like and i brought up identical love before and now like godmother fire it's like all those all, all those songs demand you as the listener on a human level to consider the nuance and 
it's interesting. It's almost like Godmother Fire is like a thesis of what the band is, funny enough. And how you put it, I feel like that's kind of how I kind of see it in a way. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, very heady. Very heady on like an interesting Monday afternoon. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I have a handful of more questions, and uh, I have to say, personally, I deeply love the way the album starts. Not just because the song sounds so great, and you know, you guys know I don't often dissect lyrics, but I wonder if there were any conversations around having a chorus that went like, I can't wait to get back on my feet, because I think that there's something really distinct about that, and I think arguably for a lot of people, it's impossible to hear that and not think about the last three odd years in a way. Yeah, that song was one that came really intuitively and tried not to get too heady. And uh, so I don't know if there were very many conversations about the chorus or whether it should be that or not. It just kind of was like what came out and what felt really good to yell from the very beginning. I do love the moment in the song where like every, cause Leia just like had a dream and then came downstairs and just was like, guys, I have a song. So it was like one of those ones that kind of arrived from the ether. But I love the moment in the song where you keep repeating it and all around you is just like guitar feedback and chaos and I can't wait to get back on my feet. And there's no bass, like, notes. It's just, like, all trebly mm. squalls, you know? And I like the idea that she's, like, kind of standing in the center of a hurricane, being like, I'm going to, I'll be right back, and I'll be, I'll be better than ever. I'll be, I'll be here. I'll be, everything's going to be totally fine. You know, like, it has this, like, and yet all around her is just dust and fucking garbage swinging through the tornado you know i kind of like that how humans have this tendency to try to pretend everything's going to be okay when they have no idea if it's going to be okay <laughs> you know all we can learn from is history and and you know in our own lives we've been lucky enough to live in a relatively conflict free era that being said there's been you know dozens of wars within my lifetime just not in my part of the world but all this to say that i like the idea that this line sort of like leaves her out on a limb and it seems like the band just abandons her and she's lost in this crazy storm and then we all sort of unite in this bridge that's much more thoughtful and and runs off into this more i don't know yeah dreamlike kind of thing and and uh yeah that's just a song that i i don't think i'll ever quite understand like it's one of those ones that just feels it'll develop and it'll like it'll have an identity of course but i love when we can create something that's sort of abstract enough that every member might have a different read i think it's a bit about self-respect and i think i don't yeah like i'm not sure i've been i've been thinking about it i'm not sure i agree that like we're heading back towards the past in terms of, you know, we're just like sweeping the past three years under the rug and, and acting like nothing's changed. Like, I feel like we've all really been able to identify what hasn't been working. And I think like one of the things that I identified 
and that probably our whole band identified is just that like none of us are free of the spinning wheel like the hamster wheel of of capitalism and trying to like feed this you know it's like that (laughs) in that I don't know if this is what she meant because I've never looked it up but in that song thank you by Alanis Morissette she has a line that's like how about those transparent dangling carrots like this pinnacle of success that you always want to obtain but the whole thing about it is that it's absolutely impossible to obtain you know how we were raised to desire a career and then like we just want to keep hitting these the very next platform and the next one and the next one it's like you'll never not be wanting you have to take care of yourself and you have to respect your capacity um you know the music industry i think is like a pretty good not to get into it but it's like a pretty good example of a of a situation where like it's not necessarily going to help you like retire comfortably and like live a very comfortable life <laughs> it's not like the more work you put into it the more you get out of it always it's not always like that um and i know that like everyone who works in general feel that feel that way um so yeah just like that thing of i can't give till there's no rest of me because like if you do that then you don't exist anymore and you're like a shell of yourself and i don't i'm not sure i knew that three years ago yeah that makes sense considering like the lessons you've experienced since or over the course of those three years and like for me as someone who's worked within the music industry and has like seeing how it functions and how it treats people i think like as a point of context that might be helpful for why that's a significant thing to bring up is that i think what makes the music industry very unique um i mean you're talking about canada and i say this rings true and also america and the uk is that like you know i guess the difference is that it's structured in a way where it they, they are structured in a way where it's not there's not pensions, there's not healthcare, there's not like, like there's, it's structured in a way where you're, at, you're like you getting older isn't necessarily considered as a tangible thought. And I think that's where it's different. Whereas like, you know, you could put in 40 years at like some corporate environment and feel empty inside, but you might get a monochrome of something out of it, like at least a morsel. And I think that's the significant thing. Um, like, does that kind of speak it to what you were alluding to or was that kind of out of turn what i said no that makes sense except that i'm not even sure that like corporate jobs really offer the same security that they once did either no that's fairly true i mean I've but maybe i just don't know maybe i just like wasn't paying attention in guys we might need to something. burn it all down <laughs> <laughs> well I, I i do have one more question and it's not directly inspired by this but you could take you can launch off this if you want in terms of what we just discussed but it's really more, it's actually, I would say, a bridge from the previous conversation we had to this one, because I remember during that last talk, because it was like a couple months after the um, drive-in shows that you guys did, I remember talking to you about like how having an experience like that, putting an album like that, you know, going through everything you'd went through, it was such a significant way to have the why of the band 
recontextualized and being more at the forefront and I feel well no I don't feel I know you guys are people of intention it's one of the things I love about you deeply and I wonder if now with this new album and with more time has passed I wonder if you feel the why of July talk exists in a more present fashion in your mind if that's how you're finding your existence right now as people like and I mean this from the specific context of waking up, being in this band, and knowing why it's important to you. Do you feel like you have that awareness right now? It's a really good question. I think that the, I think when you start out as a young artist, the why doesn't matter. Um, because you're just spewing energy out into the world. And it feels so good to do so. And any small return of that energy from the outside world to you feels like fire it feels like the best thing you know you're just so inspired anytime that the world tells you keep going keep going keep going and then i at least for myself and i think that maybe this affected the band was that i think i did reach a point where i felt like oh my god am i like a a blindly ambitious person, you know, uh, you know, I questioned whether what I was contributing was justified and was, was coming from a place, uh, you know, with intention, you know, and I think what you realize is all of your values and every little morsel of who you are seeps into everything you do as an artist. If you write stream of consciousness, poetry, you can read it back five years later and realize that it explains completely where you were at in the moment you wrote it, you know? Um, and that's, what's wonderful about art is that you can actually communicate an essence of who you are to like a listener or a viewer. And that's like why I've loved my favorite bands is because I've actually just really connected to the artists as people and to what they believe in, you know? Um, in terms of July talk, I think that more than anything, I feel calmer after putting out this new record in that it feels as if it's like a real gift to the people that love the band the most. I feel like we did have to figure out why the band mattered. And in doing so, we wrote some songs that feel like anthems of the ethos that we've created not by ourselves but with a bunch of people that travel to our shows and like know each other and and just the culture that surrounds the band um has obviously created the ethos that drives it and so yeah i think that the why has become clear and the why for me you know not to oversimplify it but it's just it, you know be yourself and like be you know, exist in the way you feel most potent. And, uh, and I find it so inspiring to see people do that, especially in parts of the world that it's hard to do that, you know, in rural areas or, or in the South, uh, you know, where it's, it's harder to, to be, you know, unapologetically yourself. So I guess all of that to say that I think you've really, you know, I think you've hit the nail on the head. And I think this record really did feel like it had to sort of def redefine what the band was 
in this new era because everything had changed around us. And, and I think every person in the world changed deeply over the past few years. And so now it's like, you know, and I think that's what when you stop is kind of about, but you know, I think that when you're forced to answer the question of why as a group of artists, if you're able to find out together, then like, that's the new foundation of your new home, right? That's, that's what you can depend on. And like, and, uh, and I think we've been lucky enough to discover that. So it's, it's a, it's a happy time in the band's life, I'd say. That's beautiful. Leah, I, I want to hear from you as well, but before I do, I just want to point out that in regards to what you just said there, Peter, it just, it, it jumped into my head, just how much more significant and beautiful all your words are in context of the album cover. Cause earlier before, when I said there's going to be a teenager that's going to have it in their room and their parents are going to hate it. I mean, I imagine something that teenager will love, regardless of where they are in the world, especially if they're somewhere rural, is that I feel like an album cover like that is almost like a clear, like, calling cry, like, shouting, like, anthem of itself, of an image that you should be yourself, like a rallying cry. And, like, how amazing is it that that's you, Leo? Like, look at that. Like, you're allowing that. That's, that's, I guess, what I'm trying to say is, like, the image, the songs do this, but also the image of the album's allowing one to do that, to just be unapologetically themselves. That's, that's what I see with the band and what the audience is, just, like, a very unapologetic nature that I think is very palpable. Mm. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the back cover at all? Sure. I don't know if the vinyl, vinyl and the CDs are... I mean, especially the CDs, or we used to call them Frisbees. But um, <laughs> I don't think I've seen the back cover. Is it on Instagram? I'm trying to open it. Up. I guess, uh, yeah, we posted it on release day. There's like a, a kind of the back cover. But anyway, the vinyl's supposed to be arriving this week. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it was part of the reason that I think that the album title made a lot of sense was that there was this photograph that was taken of my one of my best friends growing up um at like a punk show in uh i believe it's in queen alex hall i can't remember where it is it looks like a basement though so i'm not sure where it was but it was in edmonton alberta where i grew up and uh and my friend john was just an incredibly emotional and sensitive character unbelievable artist and and just a really present person that kind of was exactly who he was in the moment and for better or for worse and that caused him a lot of struggle but it also like made him a completely intoxicating person to be around because he was just feeling everything at once unfortunately we like lost him last spring and so that was right around the time that we uh were finishing the album and and uh it was really, really hard to lose him. You know, part of me knows how hard life was on him at times. And so I guess I rest easy in that he doesn't have to have that, go through that struggle continuously anymore. But but we miss him heavily. And anyway, this photo came to mind that had been taken of him when we were in like maybe grade 10 or 11 or something at a punk show and you know my friend my best friend Eamon McGrath is playing in the foreground and he played guitar for July Talk before he joined the band and stuff so 
John is right there in the midst, in the mix of this crowd, right in the front row, and he's screaming, and uh, he's just in it, you know. And I think for me, the remember never before sentiment was like so baked into that photograph because that was like a moment for him that he felt the never before. He like felt the energy of the moment. Yeah, I guess that's the back cover. It was taken by a, a, a photographer named Ira Lee Anderson, who lives out west as well. And, and uh, yeah, just a really important photograph. And I was very grateful to the band for being open to putting it on the back cover. I'm, I'm looking at it now. Um, that is, do you know what's really interesting with the photo that really caught my eye? And I think it just speaks to like how powerful photographer. I mean, obviously, big thing of like, sorry that you lost him like that's had to been beyond tough but seeing a photo like this and seeing someone immortalized in it it's like you know you can't really tell the time period it was taken in objectively like on a first glance and i think that's quite significant like it kind of like obviously it's from a very specific point in time in regards to his life and your life but there's like a timeless quality to it when i look at it that's really just like striked me in a way yeah totally I think it's also just because of the gravity of the emotion in the photograph that you don't focus on the the clothing or any of that. You know, you're just kind of in it with them. My mom sent me this post the other day that was like one of those infographics that you can scroll through. And it was just like of people writing about the youth in different eras of time. I'll see if I can find it and I'll send it to you. Oh, I'd love to see it. But it was basically just like the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans and people and the ancient uh, Egyptians and people in the 1500s and everyone's just complaining about the youth. (laughs) It's like the older generation complaining about how young people have no respect for their elders. And then the whole point of the post was that it was just kind of saying like, this is an ideology that needs to stop and you know, young people are magic and and they hold such power. And anyway, I like what you say about that photo being timeless. And I feel the same way. And And I feel like the front cover, like we just really wanted to be able to reference that back photo in some way. And we tried so many different ways of like running into a lake and different landscapes and you know just trying to photograph these moments that really like captured that essence of of joy and angst and feeling so I think that's where the like front cover came from but it feels wrong to talk about it without talking about John and that feeling and the back cover as well um I hope teenagers are listening to this album (laughs) I feel like I feel like they well they should be doing whatever they they feel they should be doing but I feel that they're you know I feel like there's a yeah they're doing their own uh, things on 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 TikTok and they're controlling the world and they're making it a better a better place in their own confusing way and um yeah but I do hope at least one teenager is listening to this album and feeling and feeling their feelings 
I reckon there has to be at least more than one. I mean, I did have this as I, I swear this was a genuine feeling and thought I had when I listened to it for the first time where this happens maybe two or three times a year for me personally, but like I'll listen to an album and it'll make me wish I could be experiencing it as a teenager. So I, I imagine teenagers listening to this. There has to be. It's like it's it's going to just awaken something pretty badass. I know it is. I mean, maybe that's just as good. If it's evoking that feeling in people of any age. Yeah, there's a teenager (laughs) in all of us. But I think to to talk to speak to your question of like the why. Yeah. I think that if this is the end, dot dot dot, and I mean that in like every way that you can interpret it (laughs) in the way that we're living in like a really doomy time weather balloons and ufos and all that (laughs) and climate doom and (laughs) just everything like if this is the end and i hope that the rest of i sincerely hope that for the rest of our lives we're not just like in this constant state of being like is it the end (laughs) every year you know but um but if this is the end i feel like this is the this is what we want to be doing but i also feel like if this is if this is more optimistically just the beginning of of a brand new way and a brand new era, then I think this is like what we want to be doing as well. That's so beautifully put. And thank you. I mean, always thank you. But this is, um, I think I try to say this every time I talk to you guys, but it's, it's, it's a privilege. It really is. And you know, you said something interesting there that I really have to like accept and embrace that like when you're previously like going about doing interviews with pray for you're very like selectively wanted to talk to so i really value that that i was one of those people especially because we had only talked i think six months prior to that or like maybe eight when you were in new york and like prior to the pandemic and stuff so it means a lot because yeah it's always a privilege getting to talk to you guys about this art that you've made well we feel the same way about you that is 100 percent for sure yeah, lots of love, Ken. Thanks for thanks for listening and thanks for caring and taking beautiful photos and having beautiful thoughts and reflections. And for coming to Toronto. Yeah, that was insane. Thank you so much for checking this out. Be sure to subscribe to The New Exchange via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you stream podcasts. Until next time, thank you for listening.